Hello and welcome to episode number nine of the Inside Strength Podcast with today's very special guest, Dr. Arn Horsnick. He is also known on the social media platforms as Squat University. So it was a really, really good pleasure to have him on board today for our talk. What we covered within the podcast today was obviously our squats and the regressions and progressions that every day gym goers can use in order to get better at those. We covered common injuries and the solutions to those and also talked about Arne's time in Ireland and his first ever time trying a Guinness. So if you're a big fan of Squat University quite like I am, make sure to tune in for this one because there's a lot of good informative value, but also we go in depth on Arne's background in itself. So hope you enjoy and let's get stuck in. That's a recording iron. So I want to just first of all say thank you so much for coming on board and coming on the Inside Strength podcast. Basically, the first time that I met you in person was what we were just discussing before I hit record here was actually in the seminar you ran in Waterford in our friend uh, Barry's gym. And basically, that's where I seen you in person. I've been following you for quite some time on social media, quite like probably everybody listening to this. You've got over a million followers now, and it's all off your own back of educating people. And that's you know, basically where I first came across you. And, you know, I just want to say thank you for that as well, Arne. So I would love, mate, before we actually get into all the the squats, you know, all the movements and stuff like that, I would love to figure out how you got into what you do today. Not even from, I've obviously, you know, researching your background with mm-hmm. actually science and then you went on and pursued your doctor, but also how you actually got into the social media scene, Arne, itself and how you built that up over the years. Yeah. So first off, thank you f- so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. It has been a while since, uh, since we last yeah. met and gosh, that was such a fun seminar to do out in Ireland. I absolutely loved being out there. It was such a great yeah. trip. Um, so yeah, I obviously, like you said, I have a background in exercise science, which is what I got my undergraduate degree from and then pursued my doctorate in physical therapy or physiotherapy as it's called everywhere else in the world. And then just started working with athletes, just getting a ton of experience at the time when I graduated, you know, uh, Instagram was not really around yet. It was sort of brand new. I think maybe early 2012, 13, um, we had Facebook, YouTube, but, you know, being a social media person wasn't, uh, as, as big of a deal as it is now. Um, almost everyone's got some sort of social media presence professionally now, almost. Whereas back then there wasn't as many people doing it from a professional standpoint. I mean, we are all on Facebook and we're glued to Facebook from 2005 on when it first started. Um, but really it was one of those things that I just slowly got into the position where I wanted to start speaking to the world. And I found that there was this, I guess you would say this gaping hole between the way in which we educate patients um, as physical therapists and the way in which people learn. Now, the way in which most people, when they talk to a physical therapist or physiotherapist, they're almost spoken down to because you have this person that's got a very high level of education and they don't really connect to people in the way in which they learn best. Well, before I ever became a physio, I was a strength conditioning coach. I was a weightlifting coach. I was a weightlifter. I mean, I competed in Olympic weightlifting for over a decade and continue to train so uh, myself nowadays. So I have a way of, I think, connecting with people that was a little bit different at the time. 
I was able to experience those same aches and pains that someone else has and be able to speak to you in a way that you understand when you come in and you're like, yeah, my back hurts when I'm lifting. I'm like, well, tell me about it. Is it when you're doing a hang snatch with 50%, uh, 70% more than your max, you know, what specific angles are you feeling you're hitting when you're doing these types of lifts? So I understood the athlete and I could talk to them in a way that they understood. So I felt like there was this need to be able to speak to others and educate them in the way in which I wish someone had been there for me when I was a younger lifter, because there's not a single person that enters the weight room that at one time in their life does not have an injury. That's not dealing with some sort of ache and pain. If everything's feeling amazing all the time, you're probably not pushing your body hard enough. So there were always teetering on this sort of edge of having small aches and pains, big injury and performance. And that's really where the, the strength and conditioning coach comes in to be able to pull people back when they need to and push people when they need to. And in doing so, sometimes we, we sort of have these small aches and pains around the way. And I thought that that was the area that I could best help the world is speak to people in a way that they could understand, but come at it from that physio mindset of saying, hey, there's these things that you can do to start working on those small aches and pains, address the why behind them and do so in a way that you don't have to completely stop lifting. You can train what you can train while you fix what you can fix. And in the end of the day, we sort of hit the best of both worlds. We work on things that can help take us out of pain, improve our movement quality, improve our technique, and allow us to reach our max potential in the same sentence. And uh, that's really where I got started in social media. I started Squat University in October of 2015. And uh, ever since then, have been doing it every single day just to try to help empower every single person that would walk into a weight room, whether you're a weightlifter, crossfitter, um, a competitive powerlifter, the world's strongest man, or just your average everyday athlete that just wants to come in, get stronger, and then you know perform to their greatest potential at whatever sport they're playing. Yeah, I think it's absolutely fantastic that you have the strength and conditioning background mixed with the physio, because that's what I feel makes you an even better coach and how you speak to people, because you train yourself, you understand what it's like when you suffer mm -hmm. an injury and when you want to push yourself in competition. And even for me, as a coach myself, when I'm looking at your educational content, there would be some things that I would be like, oh my God, that's amazing. I wouldn't have thought of that. You know, even for me, and like the way you can filter it down to coaches that actually help us help our own clients. We've learned a lot, like, you know, from, even for me, like going to that seminar, I apply a lot of the things I do with my clients from what I've learned from that weekend. And I think it comes down to meeting people where they're at and how they learn best and i think yeah. that comes with experience but also for you to be able to know maybe in the past you were given advice from somebody who was maybe mm -hmm. a physio and they didn't break it down the way that you wanted to as such oh yeah i mean there's many many examples of times where i have gone to conferences and learned from people and i always said first that nothing that i share is brand new I'm always standing on the shoulders of the giants who have come before me. So there's nothing that I'm delivering to people that hasn't already been put out there in the world. I'm just trying to synthesize it and, you know, put it out in words where everyone can understand. But there's a number of times where I will learn from other people who are much smarter than I am, uh, whether or not that's from a conference, uh, listening to them on a podcast, um, experiencing some one-on-one -on -one time with them, or maybe even reading one of their books or scientific articles, which I love reading journal articles all the time. But the one thing I know is that there's many, many smart people who don't have that ability to synthesize the information they're trying to speak in a very simplistic manner so that your 20-year-old power lifter who doesn't have a background in exercise science, how do they understand and apply this? 
So I feel like that's sort of been my sweet spot of being able to understand what those people who are extremely smart are trying to say and what they're trying to explain, but not dumb it down because I hate that, that language because then that sort of makes the power lifter that's 20 years old, like I mentioned, makes him feel he's not stupid. He just doesn't, he has a very different level background of education. He may be one of the smartest engineers in the world. That doesn't mean that he can't understand something else. You know, it's just being able to explain things to people where they get it, it clicks and it makes them want to be able to make a change. That's really yep. what it, it comes down to. Yeah, but I think that's why on social media as well, you've got such a great following from the years of you putting out great educational content, but things that click with people, your everyday person, not even the, the dumb it down, but they actually put it in terms that they understand with their education, yes. which is the way you look at it. And that's absolutely fantastic. Aren't? So that's really interesting me to understand that you've been doing this since 2015, Instagram and everything else sort of picked up from there. And where you've brought it to today is inspiring as well. You know, the, the reach that you have with social media now is first class and for you to be leading that in the fitness industry and actually that be educating people in the right way. It's great for me, who's a coach and I'm looking at that going, like if a client's asked me a certain question that I'm not sure of, I go onto your page and go, probably Arn has covered most of it already. And I would go to him and then filter it through them as such, you know, because it's a great uh, source of information that you've obviously learned from others and then you're passing to everybody else, man. So that's really, really good from a, a sort of professional standpoint. I'd love to know, Arn, obviously not about the gym or anything else, man, for your own self, what are, what are your passions outside of the gym and helping other people? Outside of the gym and helping other people, well, I'll say my, one of my main passions is obviously being in the gym when I'm not, you know, personally training other people in, in my physio practice. You know, I'm also uh, six days a week, seven days a week, also doing my own training. Uh, even though I don't compete in Olympic weightlifting anymore, I still enjoy setting my own goals and my own periodization and, and having fun with that. Um, but outside of that, um, I'm married. I have a wife. We've been married uh, now for a little over five years. And uh, we have a small dog, little pit bull, 62 pounds. And uh, yeah, have we just, uh, yeah, we hang out, watch movies, uh, enjoy just spending time going out to some, uh, some pubs and drinking some good beers every once in a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What did you find, like, even when touching on pubs, when you came to Ireland, you had like a first proper Guinness in Ireland. How did it taste? Oh, it was amazing. It was amazing. Yeah. I had, I had, uh, I had many, many Guinness while I was over there. Um, <laughs> And I'm trying to remember also the, uh, gosh, what was it? It was a cider beer. Um, was it Swedish? No. Bulmers? Was it Bulmers? Bulmers, Bulmers. Because Bulmers, I know that yeah. it's a different name other places in the world. And yeah. Barry, and when we went out with Barry and his, his girlfriend, that uh, uh, those couple of nights that we were in Waterford, uh, had a bunch of those, and those were really good as well. But the food yeah. was great. The beer was great. I mean, there's – that's a great weekend night for me. I don't need to go to an expensive restaurant. You give me a, a good pub beer and some food and, and I'm happy. Yeah, man, I love that. I love the fact that you came to Ireland as well. And that was your first actual time coming over and delivering a seminar. So to yes. go with Big Bar, Big Barry and his gym, too, he's a legend. So, so yeah. Arn, I'd love to touch on, mate, for a beginner who's maybe listening to this when the gym, because mm -hmm. I suppose if we put ourselves in the shoes of somebody who's just starting off going into the gym and ultimately the want to start the squat, and ultimately they want to get better at that. What sort of progression scheme would you get somebody who's never really squatted before until say they can put their body weight on the bar and squat for a set of 10 reps? What would be your progression scheme that you would advise most people to follow? 
Yeah, I mean, the first thing I would do is get people out of their shoes and get them to feel the ground. That's such a thing is we're, we're so disconnected to our stability that we have through our feet because we wear these horrible shoes all day long. I mean, you look at most like Nikes and Adidas, they're just big old pads of, of, uh, of you know, firm, you know, ground connection that breaks up everything. Um, so getting people out of their shoes is huge. Getting to feel the ground. From there, you know, there's very simple foundational steps that you can take to solidify a good squat. You get someone to learn how to create foot stability, jam their big toe down and create an arch in their foot. You tell them how to push their knees out to the side so that their knees are in line with their feet, how to move with their hips back. Sometimes just the most basic cues of like how to sit down into a chair and back up and learning how to hinge is the most basic squat you can do. And then from there, you know, the progression based on the person, whether or not they can put a bar on their back or their chest first, there's a lot of different progressions you'll see from coaches. They're like, well, I teach the body weight, then the goblet, then the front squat and the back squat. I don't think you necessarily have to go one versus the other, but I think it's understanding the basics of having good foot stability, having proper knee alignment with the feet, starting the squat with the hips, maintaining proper postural integrity. So being able to maintain that neutral spine alignment as you squat down in every single squat starts with the hips and just sort of going over those basics time and time again, different things that I think help uh, learn the movement. Like I said, getting out of your shoes, um, putting a resistance band loop around the knees can be very helpful. It's one of the most important things on learning to squat is how to create that external rotation torque, how to move with that hip emphasis. So when you put that band around the knees and you tell someone, jam your toes into the ground, grab the ground with your feet, and then push that band wide. So drive your knees outside, open your hips, but don't let your feet move. And all of a sudden they're like, wow, my hips are fatiguing. That's the type of resistance and movement you want to create from the hips and then start your squat. And I think a lot of times you put that band around the knees and you get them to learn how to start the squat with a little hip hinge and then just staying balanced, maintaining their center of gravity right in the middle of their feet, not being on their heels. Often you hear that cue, weight in the heels, weight in the heels. That's a horrible cue. Weight right through the full foot. You know, jamming the big toe down, heel down, base of the fifth toe. So you have this tripod alignment where your body weight is right through the middle of your foot. If you're all the way back in your heels, you're off balance, just the mm -hmm. same way as if you're in your toes. So you want to be right in the middle of your foot. When you put all those cues together, it can allow you to really maintain balance and have a great looking squat. Yeah, I think that's fantastic for anybody listening. Who is a beginner who may have just went into the gym, seen everybody else squatting with the bar on their back and ultimately just ran over and did the same thing. Focus on yeah. those cues and I guarantee it will, like you said, the person who basically warms up correctly, spends the time to do so, will be in this game the longest. And that's one thing that I realized from a younger age. If you do your warm-ups properly, if you execute your technique, you have to then earn the right to lift have your weight consistently over and over. And that's, yes. that's the way we look at that. So that, that's, that's a big thing is you have, you have to earn the right to go up. And that's a lot there. I got, you know, a little bit of blowback sometimes on, on social media. When I say that, if you can't perform a great looking body weight squat, you haven't earned the right to put a bar in the back. And a lot of yep. people sort of get in this, this culture nowadays where it's like, Oh, everyone should have the opportunity to do everything. Well, if you don't have the capacity to perform a great looking body weight squat, you're going to injure yourself. If you put weight on the bar and you can't move well first, the squat is first and foremost, a body weight movement ever before it's an exercise with weight on the bar. So you have to show that capacity and that ability to move well first before you add a load. And if you don't have that ability, you greatly increase your risk of having an injury.
100%. And I've seen you work with, for example, you're working with uh, Martin uh, at the moment, the world's strongest man, and a lot of yep. strong men in the past who would all be bilateral with their movements, they're all squat, and then you get them in through like pistol squats, focusing single leg stability, and as a result of that, then their, their, their true strength is revealed as such because they're actually working on single legs. How do you find working with Martins at the moment? And what was the main issues you've had to work with him in order to bring him to just basically out of pain, I suppose, but to the next level for himself? Yeah, so Martins has been great to work with. Uh, 2019 World Strongest Man, just a hell of an athlete. And he's just like all athletes, he's had just chronic aches and pains. I mean, there's not a single athlete that's pushed their body to the brink every single day in and day out to have that high level of performance that, like I said, hasn't dealt with something like this in the past. Um, you know, we were further complicated recently when he got hit by a car. Um, yeah, really got hit by a car. I'd like to see that car. I'm sure it's got a big old dent in it. Um, <laughs> so uh, because of that, we've had to take a step back in some of the training. So he's actually decided to skip out on the 2020 World's Strongest Man um, and focus on getting healed up for the 2021 Arnold Showcase. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, a lot of the things that we do is breaking down the body and exposing deficits in, in mobility and stability and then retraining the body both in double and single leg when we're talking about the lower body. And that's a big thing. When we talk about the squat, it's not just something you do on two legs, but also something you do on one leg. And a lot of times very strong athletes are great at hiding problems and control whenever they're on two legs. And it's not until you really put them in a position where they have to maintain even a higher level of stability and mobility with a single leg squat that you can really expose movement issues that are sort of the fundamental problem behind why their pain started in the first place. So not only can you expose it, but then you can start building back in that single leg ability. Um, and you're going to see a lot of, a lot of progress when you do so. So there's not a single person that comes to me that doesn't have some sort of lower body issue that we're not doing things like single leg squats as a part of the program, just because it's extremely helpful, even though he's not competing doing a single leg squat like a crossfitter would he still needs to have the ability to control his body on one leg and in doing so he's going to build his capacity his ability to control and stabilize his body to such a higher level degree which is then going to when we couple it with the high level load strength training that he's already doing on two legs his deadlifts his squats things like that that's where the magic really happens yeah 100 and i love to hear that because even the world's strongest man is doing things that people would probably look at in the gym and be like, I'm not, I don't think I should really be doing that. But if somebody's doing that elite level and it passes right down to sort of your beginner as such, that's something that if I was starting off, it would be a lot of single leg work to begin with before I even touched the bar and before I even overloaded that. Yeah. So that's, that's fantastic. And even when you were talking about Arn, the injuries that obviously Martins has came across, but probably just a lot of high-end athletes. Mm -hmm. And one thing that, you know, I've personally experienced through part of them is lower back injuries. And that's yeah. from obviously heavy, dead, heavy deadlifting, heavy squatting, low bar squatting, program overload from a young age and just hitting too much volume too early. Um, so for me, it would be a flexion intolerance um, injury at the moment where my lower back, anytime it bends in flexion, it would give a little bit of pain if I'm sitting down. That's why I'm always conscious of my posture at the moment. Mm -hmm. So for you, Arn, when you're working with somebody, even for me to understand, but also for anybody else listening to this who may have an injury in their back where anytime it bends, it gives them pain, what way would you suggest the rehab <laughs> protocols in order to get back um, to actually lifting what the wants were without pain? Yeah. So let's first break this down. You talked about, you said the word flexion intolerance. So that's a movement diagnosis 
for an injury. So there's two different ways in which, or two main different ways in which people look at injury. And the first is called a pathoanatomical method. And that's the way if you were to go to a medical doctor and you said, hey, I've got back pain, they'd probably take some scans of your back. They may do some poking and prodding and they'd say, I think you have a disc bulge. That is a diagnosis based on the specific anatomy tissue they believe to be generating the pain. So pathoanatomical. The way in which a physio looks at pain is a little bit different because we look at movement. And the reason for that is because there are actually many, many studies out there that show that just because you find an abnormality on an x-ray, on an MRI, on a CAT scan, does not mean with 100% certainty that what you're seeing that's abnormal is the thing that is generating pain. So for example, there's a couple studies out there that look at MRIs and back pain. And they take in, you know, very, very large amounts of uh, people in different age groups. And let's say, for example, 30-year-olds. 30-year-olds with no back pain have roughly like a 30% chance of having an abnormality on an MRI. So either a small disc bulge, a degenerated disc, different things like that. But yet, they have no pain. So what we do as physios is we understand that while we can't say with 100% certainty what specific tissue may be generating pain all the time, we don't need to know because we actually affect things that we know. We can affect movement. I can't change the disc bulge, even if it's creating pain or not, but we can affect the movement intolerance. And in doing so, whatever underlying thing is creating that pain, it will get better. So if it is a disc bulge, that is the true fault, it will get better based on the way in which we approach it from a movement diagnosis. Because knowing someone has a disc bulge or a spondy fracture or an end plate fracture doesn't 100% tell me what needs to be done. But understanding the movement diagnosis gives me a path to actually create changes based on what triggers their pain. So for example, you said flexion intolerance. What that means is that when the person bends forward, so movement of the spine into flexion, or their spine is loaded with a lot of flexion, torque, they usually have pain. That's one of their triggers. So what does that mean? In the short term, one of the first and most simple things we can do is avoid flexion. So what that means is in the morning, you get up and you're going to put your shoes on. Don't just bend over. Put your foot on a stool or on a chair and then sort of hinge at your hips to put your socks and shoes on. If when you're in the gym, uh, or even not even the gym, uh, you know, grabbing a bag of laundry or a box of laundry, if you're going to go do wash your clothes, don't bend over to pick it up, kneel down and pick it up. Small things like that throughout your day. It's not just what you do corrective exercise wise, but what you don't do movement wise, that will actually build resiliency and decrease your current symptoms. So we have how to move a little bit differently. When you're sitting up in bed, don't just sit straight up, roll to the side and then push yourself up. Things like that can really help wind down your pain. Then we need to understand how to build back capacity to maintain that neutral spine. So things like, you know, starting off and improving core stability. We're not doing sit-ups. We're going to maybe do a bird dog exercise where the spine is held in a neutral position and we teach the abdominals not to move the spine, but to limit spinal movement. So things like that. And then eventually we talk about building capacity. So we would then, um, with a squat, we would look at your technique, a deadlift, make sure that we're able to improve your technique to where you're not rounding the spine. And you're doing so while we're decreasing pain, we're improving your strength. So this is all sort of a continuum 
from very painful with specific movements. And then as we're identifying the specific movement trigger, so you mentioned flexion and tolerance, we're identifying flexion creates pain. How do I eliminate that early? How do I modify how I move so I can wind down my symptoms? Because the less I push into those movements that create pain, it's like uh, stubbing your toe. You know, when you stub your toe, the next couple steps really hurt. Well, if you have a flexion intolerance, every time you bend forward, that's creating pain. But if I can walk without stubbing my toe now, then my toe's eventually going to start feeling better and better. Well, if I can maintain that neutral spine and not push in that flexion, I'm going to quit stubbing my toe. My back's going to start feeling better and better. So we have to wind down the symptoms. Then we improve core stability. We improve capacity. We improve your ability to move without rounding. And then eventually you'll get to the point where you're not having that type of pain anymore. So that if you do once in a while go into some spine rounding, it's not going to be a bad thing because you've built up some capacity. And then eventually we get back to higher level lifting. And this is all for those that want to listen or learn more about this. I have all of this sort of written out for free on squatuniversity.com um, under how to screen your back pain. And then there's a number of different blog articles um, and videos on YouTube all about how to improve uh, from back pain. Yeah, I'm saying, man, and I've watched a lot of them already <laughs> when it comes to it because it was only that one time. And I remember it was about eight weeks out from the competition and one mm -hmm. deadlift, I just didn't lock it in correctly and it just went. And what happened yep. was the SI joint moved and there was a little bit of uh, pain in the low back. And to this day, I'm always conscious of doing my core stability, bird dogs, mm -hmm. things like that, that strength in that area. So, you know, even for somebody listening who may not even know how to take that approach, there you go in a nutshell for to do that. So with that being said, Arn, I'd love to finish off, mate, with this because I'm conscious of your time. You're a busy man. So for yourself, mate, in regards to obviously when you did lift, in regards to the Olympic weightlifting, competing, yes. squat, uh, the snatch and the clean and jerk, what has been your best lifts, even in the gym, and also your squat bench deadlift, what has been your, your best lifts, just out of curiosity? Yeah, best snatch ever uh, in, in competition. I think I hit a 112 one time. Usually I was between 112 and 111 at my best, uh, 112 kilos. In uh, practice one time in training, I did hit 113, uh, which was my best. Uh, I was never very efficient in the snatch. My mobility is not amazing. So my clean and jerk, my best ever is 150. Um, so my clean jerk is much more efficient. Uh, best, And this is at uh, 85 kilos, which obviously the weight classes have changed recently. So I probably, probably dropped down to being an 81, I would think, because I'm usually a pretty skinny kid. Um, but yeah, so 150 was my best clean and jerk. Uh, best squat ever was 191. And then uh, that was back squat. Best front squat ever was 166. So you can see a 166 front squat, but my best clean and jerk was 150. So I was getting pretty close mm. to my best uh, ability <laughs> to load my front. Um, yeah. I, I have not bench pressed a barbell since I was in freshman year of high school. Really? Yes, yeah, so wow. I, I don't bench ever. I, I would say it's, it's twofold. I'm already very tight in my mm. shoulders. So the last yeah. thing I wanted to do was do more benching to limit my overhead mobility. So I do a yeah. lot of overhead work. So I'm still pressing. I just don't press horizontally. So I'll do a lot of push press, uh, jerk work off the blocks, things like that. Uh, but I don't press horizontally anymore just because I didn't want to continue the cycle of just being very dominant just because I was already a very stiff person going overhead. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Well, that's still pretty strong for that weight. And even like when I stood beside you on your big guy, when I seen <laughs> the photo and the video, the video of you with Martins, I was like, Whoa, oh, uh, yeah. The difference I'm, in regards. The I'm dwarfed next to Martins. Yeah, he's oh, a big guy. But look, he is indeed, man. But look, Arn, thank you so much. For
for coming on, taking the time of your day. I yeah, really do appreciate it, man. It was great to catch up. I'm sure when you yeah, come man. back to Ireland, I will definitely go back to one of your seminars again, and we'll maybe get a Guinness it. this time together. Yes. Um, but of course, man, thank you for your time today, Arne, and I hope You're you have so a great welcome. week, buddy. Yeah, you as well, man. I'll definitely come thank back you, one bud. day. Of course.